Watch out. Yeah, talking about way out there. Beheim! Wow, is that silence in a little bit. Schrader takes. It's a two-man rush. Schrader steps Don't up. Bit. Pop pass in the middle. Tucker's got it. Room to run. 15-10. Hit and in. Bradley's touchdown. The Bills make me want to Allen looks to his left. Fires left side. It goes to the end zone. Stephon Diggs makes the catch. Touchdown, Buffalo. Swing into this. It is over. The Boston Red Sox. Baseball's best all season long. They have won it all. This is On the Block. Yeah, I was driving home yesterday, so I heard some of your show. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Brent. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. Two, one. Here's X-Men. ESPN Radio called QSportsTalk.com, friends. It's a place where you can watch a radio show as it happens. It's a place where you can chat with your fellow Internet people at QSportsTalk.com. It's a place where you can get the show within the show, where the camera stays on, the microphone stays on, even when the radio audience is getting a commercial. Oh, no, not you at QSportsTalk.com. We just keep the free-flowing conversation going. You tune in, you're like, man, did they do they know we're in a, are they supposed to be in a break? Does he know what's going on there? You feel like you're like getting some kind of exclusive look in or something, which you are in a sense, but you feel like you're, am I supposed to be watching this? Well, that's kind of the appeal, right? So if you're watching us on QSportsTalk.com, much obliged. It's the 2023 way to do things. Hope you had a terrific weekend. We're ready to rock and roll for another week here on the block, and we know you are too, so you can make yourself part of the show there. In the live chat at QSportsTalk.com, you can also do it the old-fashioned way by giving us a call at 437-7644. And me on Twitter as well, Brent Axe Media. Excited today to talk with a former Buffalo Bill, now Buffalo Bill's color analyst on the radio broadcasts, the spectacular, the terrific, the man, the myth, the legend. The Bills make me want Eric Wood is going to join us today. About 4.30 is going to join us weekly here through the Buffalo Bills playoff run as far as that should go. And we certainly hope it's as far as, let's say, Phoenix, Arizona. A little over a month from now. One can hope, right? As uh, some of you know, but uh, if you don't, Unfortunately, our friend John Murphy, uh, as the Bills announced on Friday, suffered a stroke last weekend. He's recovering at home. All indications are he's doing fine. So Eric Wood is going to pinch hit for our friend John Murphy while, of course, uh, he is at home and and recovering uh, with his medical situation. So we are uh, certainly looking forward to that conversation. What an environment in Orchard Park yesterday. want to ask Eric about that. The playoff matchup with the Miami Dolphins just got news uh, this afternoon, as a matter of fact, the DeMar Hamlin is back in Buffalo. 
He has been released from the hospital in Cincinnati. He will be admitted to a hospital in Buffalo just to continue his recovery, but he continues to make progress day by day. I'm sure a lot of you saw yesterday. He's tweeting. He's sending pictures from his hospital room. He's responding to Naheem Hines in the kickoff return to start that game. And uh, just incredible what a, a week can do. Think about a week ago today is when DeMar Hamlin in that Monday night football game went down with cardiac arrest, and we have been discussing it ever since. And to sit here a week later and talk about what he's tweeting on game day is just nothing short of remarkable. The work of so many great medical professionals and people in Cincinnati, of course, Denny Kellington, the former uh, Syracuse trainer who is now a trainer with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, If you uh, have some time, would appreciate it if you could check out a column I wrote today on Syracuse.com about Denny. I spoke to Tim Neal. Tim, uh, some of you may recall back in 2001, revived referee Jerry Bram on the field at the then-named Carrier Dome, who went down with cardiac arrest as well, and there's some interesting tie-ins there. And Denny worked with Tim at Syracuse, and I think there's some interesting lessons that, uh, frankly, all of us can learn from what Tim and Denny do and some of the message that Tim had in a spectacular conversation I had with him on Friday. I really thank him for his time. So that's certainly all great news. And we will talk to Eric Wood about all of it coming up bottom of the hour. We'll look at the NFL playoff picture. Some interesting lacrosse news out there that we will discuss. Mike Powell, back in the day known as Mikey Powell, now a more mature Mike Powell, is going to have his jersey retired. Second lacrosse player in history to do so. There's some interesting football nuggets to get into with Deuce Chestnut being picked up by LSU over the weekend. I kind of want to look at the broader scope there and and kind of the good problem that Syracuse football has at this point. We'll go on the blind side as usual and hear from you uh, throughout the afternoon. Starting though with a little Syracuse basketball and, and what I see right now, and this can certainly change as we get deeper into ACC play, next matchup Wednesday at the JMA Wireless Dome against Virginia Tech. But an interesting game of almosts for Syracuse against Virginia. Now, bottom line is Tony Bennett's now 11-3 against Syracuse. Virginia's won four in a row against Syracuse. And the result was certainly not a surprise. That the top 11 team, one of the better teams in the ACC, beat Syracuse on Saturday in Charlottesville. The ebb and flow of that game, I think, was pretty interesting. Some things were expected. Syracuse started slow again in both halves this time. Virginia took their opportunities from the three-point line, which a lot of teams have been doing. I mean, whatever a team is averaging from the three-point line, add about two or three to that total because they're just going to get open shots and open looks and opportunities, which even Louisville did. And they weren't even a good three-point shooting team coming in. Virginia's got some shooters. they got some guys that can do it. So you kind of have to factor that in. And it just looked like Virginia was just going to come in and, you know, just kind of step on Syracuse's neck and wouldn't even be worth watching the second half. The start of the second half played out that way. Syracuse gets down on a 12-0 run by Virginia. Virginia's up by 23. But stop me where you heard this before. A little press gets turned on and Virginia wilts. And Syracuse shows some character. And Syracuse without Benny Williams, and I thought it was interesting to see a game truly without Benny Williams because it really, 
Malik Brown in his place, and a few guys took his place. John Bull started. Malik Brown eventually got the bulk of the minutes, playing 36 minutes in that game. Got 10 points and, and 8 rebounds and played great in the press, by the way. Who thinks that Benny would have done better than that? Or significantly better than that, to the point where you say, well, they missed him in that game, and I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but I feel like they filled in what Benny could have done at his best. I would much rather have Benny Williams than not. Let's make this clear, okay? But is it one of those things where you walk away and you say, well, man, if they had Benny, they would have won that game. I don't think it's that circumstance that makes you say that. The end of the first half, Syracuse goes on a bit of a rally, and, you know, look, you're down by nine points in Virginia at halftime. You'll take that. Single digits, you'll take that. Virginia only hits three field goals in the last 11 minutes. And that was that even started before Syracuse went to the press, and I think Syracuse was responsible for some of that. There was also a lot of open shots that Virginia got that just flat-out missed. I mean, they just went stone cold in the second half of that game, and Syracuse was in too deep of a hole to crawl out of it. But you walk away, you lose 73-66. It's respectable. It's not a 20-point loss or a 15-point loss or a significant double-digit loss as it was starting to appear to be for a lot of that game. So it's almost. It's close but no cigar. It's just coming up short of what you can be and who you are. By the way, Virginia assisted on 22 of 23 buckets in that game, something Jim Beheim was not impressed with. Were they doing anything different to attack Mike, the zone? Mike, you understand that when you play a zone, every pass, every shot they take is going to be assisted. That's why they're going to get assists. Every shot is assisted. The way we play, when we use the pick and roll and we're driving, there's no assist there. So we're not, I mean, I've explained that about 100 times. Well, a couple thoughts on that. Yes, the assist rate is going to be higher when you face the zone. 22 of 23? I don't care. <laughs> what That's impressive. Like, that deserves a nod. That deserves not just a brush off, like, come on, this is how this works. Like, that's not something I would just be fluttering away like a fly on my shoulder. That, that's ball movement. That's discipline. That's a team that knows how to attack a zone as well as anybody that you play. Yes, the assist numbers typically are higher, but not that high and it's only 20 I say only but they you know they put in 23 field goals 22 were assisted and yes your assist numbers will take a hit based on the way you run your offense but there were times in that game bing bang boom ball movement when you did see some assists on Syracuse's side that you say well why don't we see that more hence my point here what we have right now is a team of almosts they will show you something by the way that's not I don't want that to be just construed as negative. When I say almost, you know, almost is almost more of a positive word than a negative word. Hey, you done with that? Yeah, almost. I'll see you in a minute, right? It could be negative in some sense where you say, hey, you done with that beer? Yeah, almost. But then we'll have another one, right? Like almost is typically a positive word. Almost there, almost there, right? That's what I see with this team. I saw some things in that team that I think we're encouraging. It's just, when do we start saying it's getting late early? We're not there yet. But this team just does not have a significant win on its resume. In the most important resume of all, the NCAA tournament. 
the walls are starting to come in there. And this team's out of attaboys. It needs wins. It just needs important quad one and quad two wins. Ah, Brent, it's January. You can't talk about that. Well, actually, I can because that's all that matters is the NCAA tournament. They showed in that game that they have their moments, that they can patch things together and pull off those kind of wins. Because I think what Syracuse has going for it, and I know this is the league right now, eventually the cream rises to the top. But there is no team in the ACC where you say no way, no how. If anything, that team that Syracuse played on Saturday would be at the top of my list of teams that you would say, don't even bother to watch that game. Now, there are certain matchup disadvantages that Syracuse has a hard time with. North Carolina, the way they rebound. Virginia, the way that they attack the zone. and But that that's a two-way road. They're going to see this team again at the end of the month at the Dome. And I would not fall out of my chair if they won that game. And I think you have to use that description for a lot of things in sports because the more you talk yourself into something not happening, the more like you tempt the sports gods to say, oh, yes, it can, right? So when I say this is a team of almosts, that's mostly positive, but we also saw, as Jim Beheim notes here, when you have one of your best offensive weapons who just seems to be in a bit of an offensive funk right now, that's going to affect how you can beat good teams. Jesse's just hes kind of a mystery right now. He's not playing the way he was early in the year. He was a different player. Um, he's just getting pushed out and not getting to the basket. I thought... Uh, Muneer really gave us a big lift at the end of the first half. He blocks two or three. Would have, would have probably been a 15-point game at halftime if he hadn't. He blocked two or three shots, and we were able to get something out of that at the other end. But Yeah, no doubt. Monir Hema comes in, blocking shots, grabbing rebounds. But see, neither Monir or Jesse had an offensive punch in that game, and you're not going to get it from Hema. You're going to get it from Jesse. So... As recent trends go, you know, you prepare for a game. If I'm Virginia Tech, I'm looking at the last couple of games on film, and I'm seeing a way to at least get Jesse off his spots. I'm seeing a path, right? But I also see a team that has a backcourt struggle in the first half and come alive in the second half. I see a team where Malik Brown comes off the bench, and at the very least, his motor never stops. He's getting more confident. He's now been on the road, and it's like, okay. I know what to do when I come in these in these situations, right? So the almost can be aggravating. The almost can be frustrating because you're like they are so close to being what they can be. And I brought this question up on Saturday when I was doing my postgame show, and I will bring it up here. When do we officially uh, get away from the term "this is a young team"? And look, Jim Beheim, to his credit, from the beginning, was like, "Who's calling it a young team? You guys are calling it a young team." So maybe we already have in a way, but it's still notable that Judah Mintz has only played five ACC games. It's notable that, you know, Benny Williams missed another one. It didn't play enough ACC games last year to really be considered, you know, air quotes, a veteran of ACC games. Joe is, Jesse is, Symeer kind of is. That's the list. There's just a number of players on this team that haven't seen this, but that's the team you have. 
That's college basketball today. You do it one way or you do it the other. Pittsburgh loaded up on transfers. Other teams in the league have had varied rates of success with the number of transfers they have in the lineup. But this is a league, to go back to what I said a moment ago, where there is not one team in it, not one, right now where I'm like, just don't even bother. I mean, Duke beat Boston College by one point on the road this weekend. And you know, just when you start to think you got the league figured out, something shifts, something pivots. How long that holds is anybody's guess, which is why, to me, it's important that Syracuse has to squirrel away some wins here because we're just going down the road and going down the road. When you look at how the team's playing and how they're developing and how they're getting better in some cases, I mean, that's great, but you're not filling in the blank. If I'm the teacher, I'm like, yeah, but you still haven't done the assignment. You sent me a blank piece of paper. You still have to write the paper, right? Oh, but I got some great ideas. Telling you, the brains really go and teach. Yeah, but you got to write the thing, and you got to give it to me. You got to give me something to grade. And right now, Syracuse, what they've done so far, I, I won't. I wouldn't even grade it. I would just hand it back to you and say, you haven't done the assignment. So that's the problem that comes from what we saw Saturday. There's some encouraging things there. There's some obstacles they're overcoming. I think they're learning, and I think there's some capability here. Do I think this is an NCAA tournament team as we sit here on January 9th? I mean, I know it's not. I know it's not because they don't have the resume. Are they capable of getting there? Let me put it to you this way. It's not a no. It's an almost on a team full of almosts. They're almost there in some ways. They're not there in others. The forwards at this point, I mean, what more can you say? I thought they did a, did a good job. I thought they, you know, they made it. I thought they did a, did a good job. I thought they, you know, they made a couple shots. Chris made his shots. Um, you know, I thought Malik did a good job on the boards. We did a pretty good job on the boards for us. This was a pretty good rebounding game. Um, but, you know, we made some errors that you, you, you just can't make and some defense, some offensive errors. But, you know, Virginia's going to take advantage of them. That's what happens. Virginia was out rebounded. I can talk. Virginia was out rebounded by Syracuse in this game, thirty-seven thirty. Chris Bell and in this case John Bullajock, your two starting forwards. Now again, John Bull only played a few minutes, but it still is noteworthy that your two starting forwards had as many rebounds in this game as you or I did. Now, how you make up for that? Brown comes in, grabs some boards. Jesse still at ten rebounds, even though he struggled offensively. You see how this team kind of finds a way to just kind of patchwork something, but they're also really robbing from Peter to pay Paul every game. No one plays a straightforward, perfect 40-minute basketball game. But Syracuse can't afford to be as spotty as it has been and expect to win. They can be that spotty and put up a fight and come back and almost beat Pitt down by 20 and almost come back on Virginia down by 23, but you can't get down that much and have those spots, young team or not. And again, I don't even think you can call this a young team anymore. They're just inexperienced. They just haven't, they don't, they just don't know what they don't know in terms of ACC play. 
So as we sit here on January 9th, that is how I look at this team. That's the word I see floating above them in neon. They're a team of almosts at this point. And remember, the word almost is typically positive. That means you're almost there, but they're not there. When they get there and how they get there will continue to be a question that I have. And will we start to get the answer to that Wednesday night? Now, on that note, we'll take a break. We can certainly continue the Syracuse basketball conversation, both here on the airwaves and in the chat at QSportsTalk.com. Got some more thoughts on some things we saw Saturday coming up later. Got some football, even some lacrosse thoughts today with the announcement that, and congratulations to our friend Mike Powell, becoming the second lacrosse player to have his jersey retired. Amazing stuff there. We will get into that. All the football from the weekend. We've got a college football national championship game tonight. Look, TCU is a 12-and-a-half-point underdog for a reason. TCU has been an incredible story just to get to this point. 200-to-1 odds coming off a 5-7 and seven season in a way, and I want to stress in a way. It's not a, you know, oranges-to-oranges comparison to use a term popular around here. But in a way, this would be like Syracuse getting to the national championship game. It is. This is about as best of an example as you can give here. We'll get into that later in the show. We will hear from you throughout the afternoon. Looking forward to Eric Wood joining us here in less than 10 minutes to talk some Bills football. All that and more on a Monday on the block, ESPN Radio and QSportsTalk.com. ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back, friends. Great to have you here on the block, ESPN Radio, QSportsTalk.com. Now, it's January 9th. We're not even saying Happy New Year anymore. That's over. Clearly, Lights on the Lake is over. You'd be wrong! And you know what's great about Lights on the Lake as we head into our final week this week? It's special charity week. 100% of ticket sales, which are just $5 per vehicle, will be donated back to local charities. Tonight, 100% of ticket sales will be donated to Second Chance Canine Adoption Center, which these are all spectacular causes through the week. Tomorrow is the Alzheimer's Association. Wednesday, Central Square's Essentials for Success. Thursday, Family First. And Friday, Sage Upstate. All great causes that deserve our time and our money. Second Chance Canine Adoption Center, I mean... Says it all right there in the title. The second chances they give to our furry friends. What a, a spectacular local organization. 100% of ticket sales. Lights on the Lake this week. Going back to local charities. Did you already go to Lights on the Lake? Go again. Five bucks. And make sure you get your tickets ahead of time at lightsonthelake.com. So I actually have a football thought here. Deuce Chestnut goes to LSU. So you have two Syracuse players that put their names in the portal. And by all accounts here, upgraded. Jihad Carter and Deuce Chestnut. Now, the door swings both ways. Because remember, Syracuse has brought in transfers from Alabama, Notre Dame, and Nebraska. See, what I'm worried about, though, as weird as this is going to sound, is that Dino Babers and his staff, now part of this was Tony White, who's now moved on himself, have become too good at talent development. 
Developing talent for the National Football League is one thing. You have Matthew Bergeron, Sean Tucker, Mikel Jones, Garrett Williams are all going to be drafted. And Syracuse's name is going to be on the board this year more than it has been in a decade in the 2023 NFL draft. That's a good thing. That is nothing but a good thing, baby. Okay, that's one thing. Developing young men to you know achieve in life and have success in life and life beyond football, that's, that's right there in sentence one of being a coach. Developing players for other schools, that's no bueno. So if Syracuse is going to be in a position here where a Deuce Chestnut, for example, can come here, show his stuff, show he's NFL capable, and then feel like, okay, I can go to, look, LSU, I mean, that's cornerback you. I don't begrudge anybody if they feel like they're going to get a better opportunity somewhere else. I am in favor of the transfer portal. I always will be. But that doesn't mean this isn't a problem for Syracuse. Because... At Syracuse, look, this isn't Hogwarts, okay? It's not hidden somewhere. If you're good, they will find you here. Deuce Chestnut got all ACC recognition and was as an NFL prospect. Jihad Carter had a breakout season good enough that Ohio State said, yeah, come on in. Now, are Deuce Chestnut, I think Deuce will at LSU. Will Jihad Carter play to the level at Ohio State that he played here? This is what Syracuse has to use to their advantage. Some of those players that I mentioned that they brought in from other schools for a myriad of reasons were not playing there. So what you sell at Syracuse is playing time. What you sell at Syracuse is all the things you have to try and sell recruits and will now be more important to sell to transfers. I saw today, speaking of, it's inevitable that when you talk about the transfer portal, you talk about NIL too, right? I, let me pull it up here so I can mention it if you guys didn't see this today. Just give me a second to... Pull it up. Michigan. Now, Michigan is Michigan. So I don't even know if Syracuse could do this even if they wanted to. But let me give you this from Darren Heitner, I believe is how you say this, who writes about NIL. A Michigan NIL collective has launched a unique one-more-year fund designed to retain key players. It says in bold, those who stay will be paid. Roughly 500 supporters have donated approximately $38,500 thus far to the One More Year Fund. Now, I just read today, to be fair, that Syracuse has opened an NIL store. I got a press release about this today. The Syracuse NIL store, powered by Campus Inc., is officially open for business, featuring custom and co-licensed merchandise sold for Syracuse Orange student-athletes. The Syracuse NIL store is every fan's one-stop shop to score officially licensed Syracuse NIL apparel and directly support their favorite student-athletes. Athletes earn between $8 to $15 on every item they sell. Okay, so that's opportunity. But what sounds bigger? We're going to pay you to stay in the one more year fund, or we're going to pay you based on, I mean, this is traditional NIL. This is what NIL was meant to be, merchandise, right? You buy a Benny Williams T-shirt, that Benny Williams T-shirt, he gets a cut of. 
That's straight up NIL. That's what it was designed for. But as we all know, this has gone off the rails. If Syracuse even wanted to, could they start a one more year fund? Could Adam Weitzman do that instead of what he currently has out there, which is a $1 million offer for a five-star player in football and a five-star player in basketball for recruiting, which I still think you need to do. You can't completely abandon recruiting, right? So this is a good problem to have because you're bringing in enough talent to the level where you're producing four players who left early for the NFL draft and, in my opinion, will all get drafted. A few more players that not only transferred but upgraded. You can't keep sending players like that to other schools. Going to the NFL is one thing. That's something you can market. In a strange way, it's also something you can market, right? You would never sit in a recruit's living room or a transfer's living room and say, at the very least, you can come here for a couple of years and then go to LSU. Like, you can't sell that, nor should you sell that. But that's the reality of Syracuse football right now. Good enough to a point. Good enough to... Get right on that threshold, but not cross it. And we brought it up earlier. At one point this year, both TCU and Syracuse were 6-0. and One team went on to the national championship game, another barely got to 7-6. and The talent was there, though. That wasn't the issue. There were a number of other issues, which, again, 7-6, and you mark that as a win. It's better than 5-7, and and who was 5-7 and last year as well? TCU. TCU also plays the 3-3-5 if you want to keep the comparisons going, but turning around a program in Texas versus turning one around here, obvious differences. So I look at this and I say, man, what a strange problem to have. Because Syracuse football at its core, you are finding the overlooked, the underappreciated, and the underrecruited, and you're developing them, you're believing in them, you're giving them an opportunity, and they turn into the Justin Pews of the world and the Ryan Nassibs of the world. And I just went through all the names that are even leaving this team this year. And you can go through a lot of examples. You're not getting four and five star guys. You're dealing with the three stars, but you can legitimately recruit these players and say, we have a track record of turning a player of your caliber into an NFL level talent. You may not sell that, nor should you, but these players are going to find out on their own. Oh, I saw Deuce Chestnut went there and then ended up at LSU. Oh, I saw Jihad Carter went there and ended up at Ohio State. So what it's doing is it's just kind of rubbing reality in your face. Ohio State, LSU, go through the list, are upgrades over Syracuse. That's what you're recruiting against and fighting against anyway. It's a little different, though, when you are their G League, when you are their JUCO and you're developing talent for them. And if I'm Ryan Day at Ohio State, if I'm Brian Kelly at LSU, if I'm, you know, fill in the blanks here, Dabo at Clemson, Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, I'm saying to Dino Babers, thank you for making my job easier because I can just swipe these guys for now. So for those that said, as the transfer portal develops and NIL develops and People that kind of scream from the rooftops like, man, you can't do this because it's only going to make the rich richer. In a way, you're right. But again, the door swings both ways because there's only so much room on those rosters. What you have to do to counter that is what Syracuse is doing. 
They got a player from Alabama. They got a player from Notre Dame. They got a player from Nebraska. So those players that thought the grass was greener on the other side discovered there's too much talent here. Where can I go where I'll play, I'll stand out, and I'll still be someone that if I have NFL aspirations, that'll be it. Or if you just want to play high-level Power 5 football, you can do that. What a strange problem to have, that you're too good at developing talent. And now there's this portal and there's this direct path where those schools can just swipe in. Kind of reminds me, remember that great movie, What About Bob? Right? And the Gutmans, and they saved all their life for their dream house. And then Dr. Leo Marvin just swoops in with his bag full of money, buys their dream house. She never says that. And don't get me going on the what about Bob lines. Look, Dr. Marvin, look, I, look I'm a sailor. Look, I sail, I'm a sailor. But that's what it is, right? Doing good, you're building up. Oh, man, we're going to buy that house. We're going to buy that house. And then, boom, Dr. Leo Marvin in his fancy schmancy book comes in and just swipes your dream house. That's the spot Syracuse is in. You can't stop finding those diamonds in the rough and developing them. You can't go to, I don't know, that guy's too good. I don't think we can bring him in because Ohio State's going to take him in a couple of years. He'll go to the next guy on the list. No, you can't do that, but it is a problem that you have to address here. Syracuse still is fighting in the new era to be a destination, not a launching pad. You can't keep everybody. That's just the nature of college sports. People come and go. But you want to be the one taking players, not the one having players taken from you. And on that note, we'll break. We will return. The blind side awaits. Don't go anywhere.